The following show is a rebroadcast of an earlier recording. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and I'll be your host for the next two hours. If you're a first-time listener, you need to know what this show is about. This is a call-in talk radio show. We hope that you call us. We don't give hot investment tips or predict where the stock market is going from here. Hot tips aren't a sensible way to invest your money, and nobody knows where the financial markets are going. We do talk about a wide range of topics related to personal finances, investments, and retirement planning. This is the important stuff. Major financial events and decisions you face in your life, birth of a child, death of a loved one, marriage, remarriage, divorce, college costs, retirement, changing jobs, living within your means, managing your debt, buying a home, refinancing, receiving an inheritance, investing, insurance, annuities. Second, you should know a little about me. McNamara Financial Services is a family business. The four of us are certified financial planner practitioners. We manage money for a fee. We provide retirement planning on an hourly basis for a fee to folks who need it. And we figure that's just about everybody. We always try to do what's best for our clients and we're into long-term client relationships. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Callers need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we might make. At times on this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. This is the part where we have to say that investment returns are not guaranteed and that past performance does not guarantee future results. You probably know that, but we just wanted to make sure. So if you have a question for us, please give us a call at 781-837-4900. The only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed the holiday. Um, I am here this morning with my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Good morning. And we are... um, we're going to focus today's show on thanks and giving, appropriately so. I think we did this last year. I think we did a similar thanks and giving show last year. And if we didn't actually do that show, we intended to do that show because I remember thinking about it about a year ago. I'm sure this one will be better. I'm sure it will be better. Yes, we just get better with age. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're going to sort of break today's show into four segments and talk about inheriting money and uh, talk about uh, preparation for leaving the legacy. So we kind of wanted to come at 
um, thanks and giving. Giving in and that, receiving. Yes, yeah. so th perfectly said, giving and receiving of assets, and we'll loop uh, group charitable giving into there as well. It's a charitable time of year for many people, and we wanted to cover some topics related to such. So, And also, for full disclosure, we are trying to make an effort going forward to break the show into four segments, which lines up well with um, the breaks that we normally do roughly on the half hour, but also we do have a podcast of McNamara on money and a two hour podcast is not realistic for people to listen to. Most of the podcasts I listen to are in the 10 to 25 minute length. And um, so we're trying to break our shows into four podcasts each so that they're a little bit more digestible. Um, so, so if you do follow us on your podcast app, stay tuned for that because instead of getting one show a week, you're gonna get four. Are, what? Why are you laughing? We do no. have lots of downloads of our podcast. No, I'm not laughing at that. I just remember somebody using the phrase, I, I'm pretty sure they said digestible chunks. Digestible chunks. Which yes, that does, was. That does not sound very that was, appealing. <laughs> yeah. they don't, that was our marketing consultant, Laurel, and she was talking about putting content onto social media. Right. In digestible chunks, right? The word, we kept saying the word chunk was not a, not a palatable no, you don't word really think to about use. Digestible and... <laughs> yeah. That's right, but it makes sense when you think about it because on social media and on the internet, you can't have too much text. People don't read it, and right. I think the same is true with with audio via podcast. That you can't have so so much content is not realistic. So that was the that's the intent behind breaking our. So instead of using chunks, we're going to use digestible segments. Segments, I like it. All right, um, so we are gonna focus our first segment on inheriting assets of the non-qualified variety. And what that means is the non-retirement variety. So if you are unfortunate and fortunate enough to inherit money from someone that has passed, um, there are in our world sort of two broad types of monies that you could inherit, one being qualified and one being non-qualified. Qualified is a fancy term for retirement monies, so tax-deferred, potentially tax-deductible when contributed monies, and non-qualified are just non-retirement money. So it could be monies that was in a bank account, um, an investment account that was not in retirement, um, CDs at the bank, many, many of those are non-qualified. Actually, you can have retirement CDs, but um, so it's money of the non-retirement type. And tax consequences vary between those two different types of monies. And so we wanted to sort of touch on that first, and then we'll talk about what to do with money that you, again, are fortunate enough to inherit, but unfortunately, someone had to pass in order for dollars to be inherited sometimes, although people do certainly um, gift assets during their life. And when we'll talk about that when we get to the gifting portion of the show. So when you inherit, um, I guess we should probably break this down. So, so we're talking about inheriting monies of the non-retirement type first. And I think we should break this down between invested money and cash money. All right. So, so if, if you inherit money that was cash in the bank, um, money market savings, checking, anything like that, or even if it was inside of an investment account but it was cash, there are no tax consequences to to inheriting to the, cash. To the receiving party. To, to the receiving yes. party. So if you're getting the money, you don't have to worry about paying any taxes on that money. That's right. Um, 
there's also, if you inherit money that was inside of an investment account, there may be tax consequences to li- what's called liquidating, which means selling positions inside of the investment account and taking the proceeds. So we're gonna, if we fast forward a little bit, we're gonna talk about what do you do when you inherit money? And there's basically two options or, or a combination of the two options. One is you leave the money invested and one is you take the liquid, either take the cash if it's cash or liquidate invested dollars turn it into cash, which means sell it, turn it into cash and use the cash in your life in some way. So so if we sort of fast forward a bit, when people receive money, they either spend it or they keep it or they save it and keep it that which could mean just saving it in the bank or it could mean investing it. So again, if you if we back up, we, we need to explain how you get to the point where you if you are going to be using the money just in your life on whatever expense, you might need to convert it to cash. Right. So again, that would apply to invested dollars. So if you receive, for example, um, if someone passed, let's call it one of your parents, if one of your parents passed and they had an investment account that was in their name only, not inside of a retirement account, could be in their name or in what's called a revocable trust or a living trust. Actually, we're going to kind of talk about trust. After, after this, but if you inherit monies that were just in their own name, the person that passed, and let's say it was, um, let's say your parents had a stock or something and they had it for lots and, and lots of years and there was what's called an unrealized gain within that position. So quick example, if your parents um, had a share of stock that they've had for just making up a number 30 years. They might have invested $1,000 in this stock and now it's uh, the share price has grown to such that it's worth $20,000. So in that example, there's an unrealized capital gain within that position. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as black and white as they paid a thousand and now it's worth 20 so that the gain is 19. It's not quite that black and white if they were reinvesting dividends. So, and we don't, we don't need to digress too much from the point, but potentially their gain is, is in the $19,000 range in that example where they paid a thousand dollars for someone, for, for a share of, of a, either a stock or a security and it grew to 20,000. In reality, the gain might be lower if they were reinvesting dividends, but just for ease of, of um, proving the point, there's an unrealized gain in that example of roughly $19,000. So if, again, let's assume that it was a parent that passed. If that parent had sold that share of stock while they were living, sold it and took the $20,000 in cash, they would have realized a $19,000, again, roughly, capital gain, and they would have to report that on their taxes, and their taxes due on that capital gain for most people are 15% federal, although some people are in the 0% cap gains bracket and some people are in a higher bracket. It just depends on your adjusted gross income. So, but, however, so so that's if they had sold that share while they were, while they were, those shares while they were living. When someone passes and they have investments inside of a non-retirement asset, in most situations, again, unless we talk about it for a moment, we'll touch on it in a few minutes, we'll touch on the trust that was outside of the estate. But in most situations, when 
someone passes, having monies invested in a non-retirement account, the beneficiaries, whomever they may be, get what get what's called a step up in cost basis as of the date that person passed. So in our example where parent paid $1,000 for a stock, grows to be $20,000 in value, and then parent passes while the stock is still invested, and let's say there's one kid, let's just keep the math really simple, when the child, whether it's a, a, a young child or the adult child, whoever it may be, gets what's called a step up in cost basis to the to the market value of that stock as of date of death. So in our example, if $20,000 was value as of date of death, the recipient or the beneficiary would receive not a $1,000 cost for the stock, but a $20,000 cost for the stock. And if they sold it or liquidated it relatively immediately after um, the date of that person's passing, there would be little to no tax consequence and little to no gain realized. Did I explain that? Okay, I was trying to go slow. I, I, sometimes I get into the weeds of taxation and I enjoy it, but I'm trying to go slow to, to explain that. Did I explain yeah. that? Okay. I mean, I understand it because I've, I've heard it before. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad yeah. you understand yeah. it. Um, so that's what's, what's called a step up in basis is essentially that most non-retirement assets that are in, that are passed down, let's say, to a generation, most of them have little to no tax consequences to be liquidated immediately. And that's just because basically those unrealized gains from the invested securities, so in, that, in our example, that $19,000 unrealized gain, which represents appreciation of the share price of, of that investment, it's essentially wiped out as of date of death. So the beneficiaries, like if, if, the, if the parent died on a Monday, it doesn't generally happen this quickly, but if, if mom or dad died on a Monday and the, the, the beneficiary liquidated that security, so oh, sorry, back up, if the parent died on, a, died on a Monday, if on Sunday before they passed, they had liquidated that stock, they would have $19,000 tax gain to report. Uh, on their taxes. If parent passes without liquidating, the beneficiary could literally liquidate it the next day when it's in their name as beneficiary and there would be no tax gain to report. Yeah. It doesn't generally happen that quickly. Um, I guess if someone was in desperate need of assets and paperwork was done very quickly, it, it could. Um, but it's that's what's called the step up in cost basis. In the... I don't think you said this, but I think I mean the rationale for why that why that happens that way is that the in your example the full twenty thousand dollars worth of stock would be included in the deceased person's estate. So it is being right. it is being Correct. accounted for as far Correct. as far as the IRS is concerned um, somewhere. And they may have um, a taxable estate, and they may not. But right. Yes, it's Which, included in theirs. Yeah, and the fact that it's not included in for a lot of folks, you know, because most people are under the exclusion, but you know, to me that sounds like a loophole that might get closed at some point. Uh, I have heard there, I believe, was chatter last tax year about eliminating the step, the step up, up in basis. Yeah, uh, that was a that was, I believe, in the original proposed legislation for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. It was eventually removed. That didn't make it through Congress, but um, I believe they've discussed that probably several times in in uh, proposed legislation, but it hasn't passed yet. That's actually a really powerful estate planning tool. Right. People have, um, you know, stock positions that they've held for 
50 years, I mean, there can potentially be incredible unrealized tax gains in there. And one of the things we're going to talk about in one of our one of our segments in terms of planning for um, leaving assets to family or beneficiaries is utilizing that powerful step up and basis tool that's that's still in tax law. Um, so I guess long actually, well, uh, long story short is that most long story longer. I know, but then I have to make it longer because yeah. I forgot we had to talk about um, trusts that are outside of the estate. But for most people that inherit assets of the non-qualified or non-retirement variety, they are inheriting them in a very tax-efficient way, meaning in most situations they could, maybe I shouldn't say most, I don't know the statistics, but in many situations, even if this the dollars were invested in some way, they could generally liquidate, take the cash, and have very little to no tax consequences to do so. There's also, um, well, I guess there are, I'm not an attorney and neither is Kirk, but there are different types of trusts that estate planning attorneys will prepare. Um, it's simplest in my mind to break it down between the, rev uh, the revocable variety, which is what's also known as a living trust, which from a tax point of view, they call it like an extension of you, right? They, from a tax point of view, a revocable living trust is no different from you. You, you control the trust, you're the trustee, um, you know, or earnings inside the trust flow to your personal tax return. Those dollars are included in your estate, like we were just talking about, and includable in, a, in an estate tax calculation. Those, uh, but those assets get a step up in basis as at date of death, just like individually held and in, in, uh, assets do. There's also a type of trust called an irrevocable trust. Sometimes people use these for, well, for estate planning. Um, I, I guess I've pro primarily seen them used for well, estate oops, estate tax planning and also Medicaid planning. So the irrevocable, the irrevocable trust putting money into an, again, we're not attorneys, please call your estate planning attorney if you have further questions on this. People that put, I think in many situations, well, number one, when you put money into an irrevocable trust, you make an irrevocable decision to give up ownership of the assets. The trust owns it and you name a trustee that's not yourself. Um, putting monies into a trust like that I think in men, maybe most, but not all, I think oftentimes irrevocable trust dollars are not included in the estate calculation, though I think sometimes they can be. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, Five -year look I'm admittedly yeah. a little bit unclear on that. On that, I don't know if it's a particular language in the trust that or a period determines of time that. Has to elapse, yeah, so. I should. We're hoping to have an estate planning show. Um, either in, earlier uh, in the next couple of months, either end of this calendar year or beginning of next calendar. We'll have to make sure to ask that question. Um, but I believe, but there are certainly times when irrevocable trust dollars are not included in someone's estate at death. And it is in that situation. So if you inherit dollars from a parent, for example, or really anyone, but a parent, for example, and your parents had done some sort of estate planning or perhaps um, long-term care planning and, and trying to pr protect assets from um, from Medicaid, from, from having to go on Medicaid and from long-term care services. Um, 
I, I believe that when you inherit assets of that variety, you do not get a step up in basis. So if, um, you know, your, your parents had put $100,000 into an irrevocable trust and maybe they funded it with cash, for example. So tax basis was 100. Maybe that trust grew to be $200,000 by the time they passed, he or she passed. The beneficiaries in that example would not receive that step up in tax basis if the trust was not included in the estate of the person of the decedent or the person who passed. Um, so that's an example where you have to be very careful about tax consequences. If you are li or considering liquidating securities that you've inherited, you have to ensure, or we recommend that you ensure that you understand the tax ramifications, if any, of such liquidations. Because, you know, if you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially or more that you inherit, and if it, it was inside of a, uh, an irrevocable trust that wasn't in the estate, you just have to be very careful and understand. Um, what the tax basis is, because you could potentially realize some capital gains that that you um, well, you just want to make sure you know. No, as long as you have the tax, the dollars to pay the taxes, um, and you understand the ramifications of that, that's that's all we're saying. Certainly, not saying you can't do it, but um, we sort of always tiptoe around with beneficiaries that inherit money. We sort of always tiptoe around um, liquidations and ensuring that we understand. So that generally means communicating with um, this person's estate planning attorney and right. the, their CPA is preparing the taxes and understanding what's included in the estate and what's not and, and when to um, when to apply that step up in basis. Just, just a quick note, in our world, being investment professionals in our world, when someone passes and dollars are moved from, let's say, an individual account and that person who passes name, and they move into either an estate account or they move into an account for the beneficiary, that step up in basis is not automatically done. So that, that step up in tax basis is something that the investment professional or the recipient of the dollars has to instruct the custodian or the, the financial company holding the money. That has to, you have to instruct the custodian to do that because the custodian or, or the, the investment company holding those dollars doesn't, they, it, it's they not, yeah. right, it's not know. their yeah. position to understand that. So they don't right. automatically apply that step up in basis. I mean, custodians, at least now, you know, 20 years ago, this was different, but nowadays custodians track that basis for taxes because they have to prepare uh, tax documents and send them earlier, early in the year for everyone. And so they're tracking that, that basis for taxes so that upon liquidation, they can send some, they can adequately report to the government and they can send someone an accurate tax document. But it's not their responsibility to get into the estate planning of that particular right. family. So it won't happen automatically. So make sure that you discuss with either your financial professional, your accountant, and or your estate planning attorney in these situations to ensure that if you're inheriting securities in a non-retirement account, you understand uh, or you you have been given the appropriate step up in basis if you are entitled to one. Right, and you would, you know, we would tell you 
most likely you would want to update that cost basis before you actually sell the things. That way it's a lot cleaner when you get your tax return. Sure, as absolutely. To, as opposed to trying to yep. do it after, you know, selling and then worrying about it because that could That's be true. a bit messy. You can you can do it, but it, you can. it is messy. It's much cleaner if you update it first. It generally takes, I don't know, a 24-hour cycle. Yeah, I, mean, I know we've done it, you know, yeah. so we, you know, using, you know, we use TD Ameritrade as our custodian and I know they have a form basically to, to, to accomplish that and it has to be signed off, you know, by the executor or yeah. the personal representative. They sign up basically indemnifying, you know, TD Ameritrade that this is, mm-hmm. you know, this was the correct, this is the correct course of action. Um, this is what happened, uh, you know, death certificate, you know, and all yeah. that, all those things. Um, you know, one other thing about that is, you know, the updating the cost basis. So you can do it on the date of death or the the other options. You can, oh, do, six it, months you can after, do it six months afterwards. That's right. You have to so make sure you cooperate with the accountant. Yeah, there's an one. alternate. You can, there's an alternate um, alternate uh, date, which is six months after the date of death. That's right. But. Uh, my understanding is it has to be applied across the board. You can't yeah, just you can't just do correct. that for one asset. You know that's you can't correct. like cherry pick. That's correct. Um, but if you know if if the I mean if if the estate substantially decreased you know six months after the date of death, that might be a reason to to think about doing it because yep. you know their taxable estate or you know taxes to the heirs could could go down um, based right. on that. Right. Fair point. And make sure you make sure you cooperate with your. Hopefully, you have an accountant preparing right. the return. Yeah. All right, let's move on from taxes. I could talk about that all day, but we should probably switch gears and we'll talk about what to do what to do with the money because one of the most common questions I get as an advisor, one of the most um, common reasons that someone might walk into our office is that they just inherited some money and they don't know what to do with it. So, and that's certain, there's certainly not a blanket answer for everyone, but I just was thinking about you know, in most circumstances. So I have a few bullet points of things that I would generally recommend someone do with their money, sort of in order of how I might recommend them. But again, it depends on the circumstances and and the the person inheriting the money. It certainly depends on their age, whether or not they have their own kids and are planning for future college, how much debt do they have, what are are their savings for retirement like, are they on a good track um, with with or without the inheritance. So a lot of lot of factors that go into that recommendation um, but I would say the most common recommendations I make well again we talked about in general options are leave the money invested or a portion of it leave the money invested or, or take the cash and do something with it or again anywhere in between any any combination of that so we can talk about investing that's, of course, we'll talk about um, you know options for leaving the money invested, but for a minute, let's just talk about what do you do with the money? So my most common recommendations are, well, what do you have for debt and is there a debt that we can pay off? If someone has high interest rate debt, which most common type is credit card debt, um, I'm, I'm certainly favor paying off debt if possible uh, of the high interest rate variety. Um, if people have student loans, either for themselves or for their kids, you know, certainly um, paying off or paying those down make a lot of sense. Um, paying off the mortgage. I mean, again, it's hard to make a blanket recommendation, but reduction of or elimination of debt if possible is one of my one of the highest top priorities, priorities. Mm-hmm. yeah and i would start with um probably the higher highest interest rate debt and the non-deductible type of debt so 
credit card debt being in there, and personal loans, um, auto loans, though those tend to be pretty low interest rate, at least late, lately. Um, student loans, whether they're federal or private, federal loans have a pretty low rate, but private loans a little bit higher. Um, and I probably last in my order would be fixed mortgage. Variable mortgage, like a home equity line might be on there because you're subject to interest rate increases. But my, probably the last one I would cherry pick is, is a fixed mortgage because interest rates are, at least in recent years with the refi boom that we just went, went mm-hmm. through, most people have a pretty reason, reasonable interest rate on their mortgage. And I would sort of cherry pick that last. And also uh, mortgages are still tax deductible up to three quarters of a million, I think was the new um, fixed mortgages anyway, not necessarily home equity lines. But, um, you know, and beyond that, if someone has no debt or very little debt, and again, depending on the dollars you're talking about, if the debt is small relative to the dollars that are inherited, you know, what, so what do you do beyond that? If, if we can do more than reduce or eliminate debt, um, you know, certainly building cash, if, if it's someone that doesn't have an emergency reserves account or has a very small one, certainly just building some cash so you feel better about your cash position is always good. Um, and then, uh, you know, how if the person inheriting the money has kids of their own, how old are the kids? Are they going to be going to college? Right. Are they going to be bearing the burden of some or all of the college education? What are the dollars saved for that? So certainly using for um, schooling. And then uh, it is a great idea to get a head start on saving for college or, to, again, to pay down student loans that they may have already taken. And then obviously their own retirement. So what what are, um, what are the, what does their retirement look like? Are they on a good track? Are they saving a decent amount? Um, I've actually, since we're talking about inheriting, for this segment anyway, we've been talking about inheriting non-retirement assets. I've actually, I can think of a few situations where someone inherited dollars and, and perhaps, let's just use an example, someone inherited a few hundred thousand dollars, maybe they're age 55, and they haven't been putting as much into their retirement accounts as they would like to be. Maybe, you know, our goal was 15% to the 401k, maybe they've been doing 5%, something like that. Um, there have been times when I've recommended, like if someone inherits cash, to actually maybe hollow out a, a chunk of the cash, maybe not all of it, but hollow out a chunk of the cash and if you can use that chunk to live off of for a period of time, you do, or, or partially live off of, you could live off of your cash because there's no taxes to draw the cash and increase your contribution to your retirement plan if we determine that the contribution wasn't, you know, we weren't at target anyway. And, and so the benefit, there's a tax benefit to that because you're drawing down cash that has no tax consequence to you and you're reducing your taxable income by putting money into a 401k or a 403b or a retirement plan, assuming you do the deductible type. So mm-hmm. that's... Right, because, yeah, you can't just take the inheritance and stick it in the 401k, the, uh, the you know... Just, right. You just can't do that. So right. this is the way this is the workaround. Yeah. It's a work it's a workaround for getting money into a more tax efficient um, vehicle in and of itself. Right. Um, yeah, like if someone has doesn't have a retirement plan through work and they want to take fifty five hundred or sixty five hundred and stick it into an IRA, that's they can certainly do that, but you know, that's not a lot of dollars in the grand scheme of what you could potentially inherit, which is you know, from zero to 
no limit to that, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's but for, like a tax workaround. Yeah. yeah for, and then for somebody that doesn't have a 401k, then right, yeah, so they're limited to just the, you know, five or $6,000 yeah. a year, whatever it may be, but, you know, they could obviously invest those dollars in a, a non-qualified account like we were talking about earlier and, right. you know, every year move, you know, move five or 6000 over into an IRA and yep. Yep. over time get it in there, but at least have the money, the dollars invested. Yeah. Uh, um, so using it in, I would say like using it to benefit your cash flow or using it to supplement your income to better your cash flow, short term or long term, great use of inherited dollars. Um, and also keeping it invested, which we'll touch on in the next segment. We're going to take a break here in a minute. The, w- the one thing I just wanted to, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, what to do and what not to do with inherited dollars. And really the only blanket answer I could come up with for what not to do was just not to be too impulsive, mm, right? Like yes. like at least just, you know, take <laughs> some time to think about your options. Um, you know, think about what might be best for you from a financial point of view. Obviously it's, you know, have some fun with it if you can, but you know, just not to be impulsive and, um, you know, maybe not throw it all down on the mortgage if there's several other things that you could be using those dollars for, so. I think I was actually just thinking about that and all I think although I think that's the right rational advice. Yeah. I think there are there are people out there that if they don't do something with it appropriate right away, they might start doing inappropriate things like, Oh, I really could use a new car. Oh. I really could and then so the longer right. it sits there and they look at it, they start what they start spending on that's things true. that if they had done something appropriate right off the bat, you know, just like they say out of sight, out of mind or right. like, you know, pay yourself first. I, I so I, although I agree with you, I think sometimes if it just sits there and people look at it, they start they start spending it. Um, that's true. Or if you're and if you're going to be impulsive, at least don't be impulsive with all the dollars. Right. Because maybe use some dollars in a, in a responsible way. All right. Let's take a break. We're going to come back in a few minutes. We'll talk about inheriting um, assets of a different type of the retirement variety. We'll touch on a few different concepts related to that. We're going to take a little bit of a break. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. We'll be right back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the So Shore's very own and favorite talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed. I hope everyone had a lovely uh, Thanksgiving holiday and got to spend some time with family and friends and um, got to be thankful for one or two or several things. I am um, every, every single year, Kirk, since we had kids, I was thinking we should like you know, be that cute family Go that sits the table. down at the table and like says what we're thankful for. And I've never done it. And I feel like, I don't think I've failed as a mom in too many ways, but I think that's one, but it's not too late. It's not too late for us. I'm sure this I'm, could be the, the kids, the kids would either say yeah. nothing or they would say like probably the cutest things ever. They would probably yeah. say the cutest things ever. Um, or so or ne- maybe, ne- the, maybe the grossest things ever. Yeah. It next year depends. might be the year where yeah. we make them write something down. I mean, they always do those cute projects at school where they write down what they're thankful for and it's you know always their family and which is adorable right guinea pigs right they're probably thankful for their guinea pigs and rabbit and dogs and hamsters Mm. the small farm they're thankful for the small farm that we live on yes no all (laughs) right well that's not that is not what (laughs) we're talking right that is that is not the subject of our discussion today 
we are talking about thanks and giving this morning, and we wanted to approach it, approach it from a couple of angles, the uh, receiving and the thanks angle of receiving assets from mm -hmm. someone that left them to you or gifted them to you. And then we wanted to also approach it from the giving um, aspect and, um, you know, pre preparing assets to uh, leave to someone or someone or several people and also charitable giving we'll touch on. So sort of break the, broke the show into four components, uh, four segments. And this one we're going to talk about inheriting qualified monies, which are it's I just think it's a fancy term for retirement dollars. IRAs. 401ks, yes. 403bs. All right, so qualified assets are, um, or qualified accounts are types of accounts where they're uh, tax deferred, meaning as they grow and receive dividends and interest, and as um, positions are sold within them, and if they've grown in share price, capital gains, all taxes on all those things are deferred until the date in which you withdraw from the account. So that's what a tax deferred account is. 401k uh, is an example, as you mentioned, several others. Many qualified accounts, you get a tax deduction to put the dollars in. So a traditional 401k IRA, you receive a tax deduction. So you reduce your taxable income in the year that you put the dollars into the account. So number one, first benefit, and then second benefit is that tax deferral, so you don't get that 1099 tax document that says, hey, you earned $1,000 in interest and you gotta pay some taxes on it, so that you don't get that and you're deferring your taxes until hopefully your retirement years, as they're meant to be retirement accounts, um, to pay your taxes on those dollars. Um, however, having said that, not all qualified accounts are um, not all, not all qualified accounts you get a deduction to put money into. So Roth right. IRA, Roth 401k, and, and also we won't get too technical, but non-deductible IRAs. There is a few types of qualified accounts where you don't get a deduction to put money in, but they're all tax deferred. Mm -hmm. And that the growth of the assets, taxes due on that is deferred until. Are we going to put annuities in this section? We could put annuities also? in this section. Yes. Which is which is confusing because they're yeah. technically non-qualified, <laughs> but they're kind of going this. There well, yeah. there are qualified. You can have yes. an annuity that's qualified or right. non-qualified. So, but right. we could lump those in because annuities are also a tax-deferred vehicle. Right. So even though yeah yeah very okay. confusing. confusing. Um, Kirk, this is why, one of the reasons that we have a viable business. Yes. Because it's very confusing and people yes. rely on professionals such as us to yes. answer these questions. Um, all right, so when you inherit dollars from someone and they had a retirement account, let's say they had um, a 401k through work and maybe they rolled it into what's called a rollover IRA, very common when people retire to roll their assets outside of the employer-sponsored plan into a rollover IRA. So let's just use that as an example. So um, let's say your parent passed and they left for you um, a rollover IRA. So we talked in the first segment about um, your, when you inherit money, your very broad options are leave the money invested or take the money and do something with it. So obviously same answer for qualified monies, but the tax, um, the tax ramifications differ, and which is why we broke this up into two segments. So when you inherit, so, so during the, the person who uh, left you the assets, so 
during their life, if they were taking money out of a rollover IRA or a retirement account, every dollar that comes out, unless it's a Roth, but for 401k, IRA, rollover IRA, every 403b, every dollar that comes out in retirement is taxable at income rates, whatever your income rates may be in retirement. We have a tiered tax schedule, so your, your tax rate depends on your income. So during that person's life, taxes are due upon withdrawal at regular income rates. And same thing for a person that inherits the money. So if your parent had a rollover IRA and um, they passed and they left it to you, you step into what's called an inherited IRA or sometimes called a beneficiary IRA. And also all dollars that come out and are distributed from the account are taxable to you at whatever your income tax bracket may be. Um, different answer if it's a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k. But for, for most retirement accounts, or Roth IRA, Roths haven't been around that long. So most people that are inheriting monies now are inheriting monies of the what I would call like the traditional qualified right. type 401k IRA rollover. Um, and so the tax consequences are the same from the person who passed you the money and, and you. The difference is the difference in your tax brackets potentially. And we're going to talk about, you know, planning and planning for leaving money to so people. And we'll sort of talk about taking advantage of tax brackets when a family plans for passing mm. assets to the next generation or tax bracket arbitrage if you want to get really fancy. But um, so, so the person who passed during their life, they pay taxes at income rates and you do too when you inherit the money, whether you were related to that person or not, you're, you're, you're both paying income at income rates. Again, your tax bracket could be much different from that person. You could be you know, let's say most of the time that the person that passed was um, a retiree, or hopefully anyway, right? They lived, they lived to a nice old age and lived mm -hmm. a good long life. Yeah. And, and, and many retirees, just by nature of the fact that their income needs are lower because maybe they don't have a mortgage or they don't have, you know, they're not saving for retirement and they, their income needs are lower than, than it was in their working years. So many retirees might be in a lower tax bracket than someone who's in their working and earning years. So like if someone, like if a parent age 85 passes and leaves money to an adult child age 55, for example, the that 50, prime, prime working yeah, years probably, yeah. Exactly, that, that person is probably in their highest tax bracket that they might ever be, right? right. And that because they're in their latest working years and generally speaking, most people, unless they're part, you know, uh, slowed down or whatever. Most people are in their highest earning years right before retirement. Um, so the amount of taxes do might differ, but taxes at income rates is the same. So, but, but as we touched upon earlier, different answer with regards to when you inherit a Roth from someone, if you inherit a Roth, so, so again, during that, the person who was living during their lifetime, they could take dollars out of a Roth completely tax-free. Same answer. If you inherit a Roth, you can inherit, you can have a beneficiary or inherited Roth IRA, and all dollars you take out would be tax-free to you. So it's a very 
I, uh, we did a whole show on the beauty of the broth. <laughs> I and recall. This is, I loved that show. If you don't there's, listen to our podcast, you should subscribe. You're still glowing, yes. You should subscribe yeah. just for that show, which was the Roth and all its beauty. But here is, um, you know, we're supporting that statement again that um, all dollars that come out of a Roth are tax free. So if you are a recipient of an inheritance, and part of that inheritance is dollars in a Roth, great pot of money to inherit, number one, also a great pot of money to not cash out and to leave invested. But that brings us into required distributions that beneficiaries of qualified monies are subject to. So if you inherit retirement monies from someone, you are subject to required distributions, whether you're a Unless you're a spouse. Unless you're a spouse, that's right. Unless you're a spouse under the age of 70 and a half. Well, we'll talk about the other people yeah. for today. But if you're inheriting a retirement account from your parent, for example. Right. In your, well, back up for a moment. In your, in the years when you're, when someone is living and has their own retirement account, 401k IRA, you are forced to withdraw, upon attainment of age 70 and a half, you are forced to withdraw a relatively small amount of money from that account. It's called a required minimum distribution. And all retirement accounts are subject to these required distributions with the exception of the Roth IRA. There's always an exception in our world. But all retirement accounts, if you've got a 403B at work, if you've got a 401k, if you've got an IRA on your own, if you've got a rollover, you will be forced to withdraw a certain amount of money from that account when you reach age 70 and a half. It starts at about 3.65% of the value of the account and the percent that you're required to withdraw goes up annually. As your life expectancy gets shorter, you're forced to draw a higher percentage. So that's during your lifetime. When you inherit monies from someone, if you're inheriting a retirement account, whether you're age 70 and a half or not, you will be required, actually we, we can, there's a way, there's sort of a way to get around this, but you will be required to draw a small percentage based on your age of the amount of the money from that account. I mean, the, the, the premise is that the federal government, I, well, I don't think you can argue this, the federal government wants its tax revenue. We talked right. about. You can't hide it forever, yeah. Right, we talked about tax deductions to put money in IRAs and tax deferrals, so the government is kind of throwing you a bone here with this retirement savings, and they're, and they're allowing you to defer your taxes to it, but they want their tax revenue at some point. They don't want assets passing from generation to generation to generation and taxes never being paid on dollars. So they force required distributions, um, and which I think actually makes perfect sense. As, as, as much as some people hate being forced to draw money from their savings, um, and paying the taxes on it, it, it does make sense if you think about you had potentially, f let's say, 40 years or 45 or 50 years of tax deferral. So um, I think it makes mathematical or business sense anyway. So when you inherit monies and you're under the age of 70 and a half and you inherit a retirement account, your required distribution is based on your life expectancy. So the IRS has tables that they refer to and they, they, they look at your statistical life expectancy. So if you're inheriting the monies at age 25, again, fortunately and unfortunately, if you're inheriting monies at a young age, your required distribution from, from a retirement account, if that's what it is, is going to be very small. I, I don't know, I have the tables in front of me, but it's yeah. gonna be a percent or percent yeah. and a half or something, a very, 
the, the younger you are, the smaller the percentage that you're required to draw out. Um, so it's relatively, depending on your age, it could be, you know, it's a relatively insignificant amount and keeping the monies invested is certainly a viable option, though you will be subject to required distributions. So the one caveat to that is that if you inherit a Roth IRA from someone, you are not required to take a distribution annually. That is the one, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say one account. That is the one retirement account where you're not subject to required distributions. The segment we did prior to this on inheriting non-retirement monies, mm -hmm. those accounts are not subject to required distributions either. Those could be invested indefinitely with no forced withdrawals, but those are not tax-deferred accounts. So the Roth is the only tax-deferred account where beneficiaries are not, I'm sorry, I misspoke. What did you say, are you right. about a Roth? No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Beneficiary, I'm sorry, I just, that just, a light just went off in, a light just went off in my head. Uh, beneficiaries that inherit Roth dollars are subject to required minimum distributions. They, they do have to take money out, but, there, right. but there's still no taxes. Well, I'm glad I caught that. Right, it's still tax-free, but you are required to take a distribution. Oh my goodness, I'm glad I caught that. I was totally going down like, the wrong path there. <laughs> How embarrassing, let's take a break. No, I'm kidding, uh -huh. I'll get over it. Um, all right, so I apologize. So all retirement accounts, you do have to take a required distribution from. Um, go ahead, did you have a comment? Well, I was gonna say annuities also. Um, yep. We had talked about, so if someone has a, a non-qualified annuity or an IRA annuity for, that, for yep. that purpose, both of them are, you know, while the, while the person is alive, they're tax deferred, um, but Annuities are taxed differently in that they're taxed. You know, there's the there's the basis piece or the you know what was put in yep. versus what it's worth. Uh, and if you take money out, you know they tax you. They assume it's earnings first, and they yeah. and they tax you as regular income, you pay your taxes which is front, different yeah. than everything else. But um, but they do allow for basically continuation where you can take it and you keep keep the money tax deferred, but you do have to take required distributions right. um, from the account. Right, similar to so it's another, yeah. like an IRA. Yep. Yeah. So if you inherit monies of different types, let's just say, for example, you inherit $200,000, $100,000 of it is in a retirement account, and $100,000 of it was cash. So when it comes down to thinking about what is the best use of the dollars, and not, and not only that, what is the best use of the dollars and, and if I need dollars for debt reduction or elimination or for, to get my kid through college, what's the best place to take that money from? In this, in this example, let's keep it really simple. You inherit 100,000 of cash and $100,000 in retirement. And let's say you've got a kid that's a junior in college and you need two more tuition payments and you, so you need 100,000 of that 200. So that's really simple. You take the hundred of cash because it's the most tax efficient. You use that, there's no taxes due on cash. And if you are going to leave a chunk invested, you would most likely leave that retirement chunk invested because even though you are subject to required distributions, you had the benefit of the tax deferral on that. And not only that, in that example, if you needed 100,000 and you took 100 from a retirement account, you increase your taxable income in that year 
by $100,000, which is a significant enough amount of money that it could bump you into another tax bracket, so you're paying taxes at a higher rate. just depends on your other sources of income. Um, so, you, so whenever you're, if you've inherited a significant amount in the form of a retirement account, whenever you're thinking of taking significant dollars, and you know, the, the significant means different things to different people, but on the orders of, if you, if you need, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for something, be careful taking it from a retirement account because you're realizing taxable income on that. And, and you know, dep again, depending on your tax bracket, you're probably paying a minimum of 30% or more on those dollars. So, so the tax. So if you have different pots of money to choose from, generally in my world, although we're going to kind of throw a wrench in this in a minute, but generally in, in, in my world, I would recommend people take their their income needs from the most tax efficient place, which in that example would be the non retirement monies or the cash if you have inherited monies. Right. Yeah. There's also, I mean, there's also the, you know, looking at their whole picture, right? So if they're maybe the per, maybe the the beneficiary is if they are working and maybe they're in a relatively low bracket or maybe they're not working or maybe they're in a year in a year when they're you know looking for a job and so you know it might make sense for them to take some of that IRA money that year if they're yep. if they don't have any other taxable income yep. so it really it really just depends um, you know on what's going on but yeah in general yeah you want to you know keep the tax deferred money deferred um, as long as possible and and maybe work off some of the other money um, so we talked about the, so yeah, so on the IRA, you know, if you inherit an IRA, you know, our, our typical advice is if you don't need the money, you know, do what they call the stretch IRA yep. and take those, you know, take those minimum distributions, you know, each year and let the bulk of the money grow tax deferred. Um, that's, you know, that's generic advice, assuming you don't, don't need the money um, yep. right, right up front. Sorry, I was going to interrupt. But go ahead. Yep. Well, you know, we had we were going to talk about like beneficiary designations and like issues and problems, but I don't know if maybe we should save that we're for, the, that for, for the, the positioning, the positioning save segment. That, yeah, okay. let's save that for the next segment when we talk about positioning assets okay. to, to leave a legacy or to leave money to people. Um, one of the well, we were talking about. Um, I'm I'm very cognizant of taxes, I guess, because because I enjoy that, but. When you inherit qualified monies or retirement monies from someone, um, you know we've been talking about we'll limit what you take because of the tax brackets. But you can take as much as you want from an inherited retirement account, and of course you're going to be paying income taxes on it mm -hmm. unless it's a Roth. But you're going to be paying income taxes on it. But there's no penalties beyond that. So that's different from when you from your own retirement savings. So if you have a 401k IRA on your own. And if you take money out of your, not an inherited account, but your own savings, retirement savings, if you take dollars out of that before the age of 59 and a half, there's a 10% penalty that the federal government imposes in addition to taxes. So yeah. it's a way to you know, uh, incentivize people to save that for retirement. It's a retirement savings vehicle. But when you inherit money from someone and you have that beneficiary IRA or inherited IRA, you can take as much as you want. You can withdraw as much as you want from that account, and there's never a penalty. There's always income taxes or realized taxable income. Taxes depend on your own tax situation and tax bracket. 
Um, so we should be clear that you can take as much as you want whenever you want from an inherited IRA with no penalties beyond, but you just have to be cognizant of taxes. Mm -hmm. But we were, you know, a very common discussion for us is, like I said earlier, I've inherited this money, I don't, I don't know what to do with it. So one of the first ways to assess what to do with it is to, is to figure out what types of what, what type of an inheritance it is. Is it qualified retirement money? Is it non-retirement money? Is it cash? Is it invested securities? Was there a step up in basis? So, so figuring out what you have is like number one or number two. The, you know, the, other, the other half of that is what is your situation and then we can make a recommendation. But figuring out um, what you have for inherited monies is really important. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that. I mean, you know, if unless you're the executor of an estate or the trustee of a trust, you generally don't know what exactly the portfolio look like looks like and how it's going to be divvied up. Um, yet generally, you know, if a parent dies and there's four kids, one of the kids is an executor and the other three kind of don't exactly know what's going on. They just know that they're going to be receiving X dollars, right? But right. they generally don't know the breakdown of that. So it's really important to kind of figure out, you know, from and cooperate with the accountant and the estate planning attorney um, and, and the financial advisor, if there is one, and figure out what you have. Because if there is, if there is a pot of money that's going to stay invested, generally, it, generally speaking, it would be the retirement pot because it's, there's just adverse tax consequences to take uh, a significant amount of dollars from that. Um, and so then, you know, you can get into, well, what to do, what to do with the money. And actually, I can think of several situations where beneficiaries receive an inheritance and they don't need the money. So great for them if they're in that situation where they're already, you know, well off financially. They have enough cash flow in their life that, you know, they don't have need for much and they've inherited monies. Um, I can think of situations where people that have inherited retirement monies, they're forced to take that distribution. And if you're in your, you know, 50s or 60s or older, your, your forced distribution can be, what, three, four, two, three, four percent of the portfolio, mm -hmm. which is not insignificant depending on the amount of money. There are some times when people take that distribution and don't need it and then they want to know what else they can do with it. So certainly you can get into strategies where even if you're forced to take a distribution from an inherited um, retirement account, you can certainly turn around and, and reinvest that. So you can either reinvest it into um, a non-qualified or non-retirement account of money. So that would be like you, you pay your taxes on that forced distribution and you redirect the monies to a non-retirement account. That's, and anyone could do that, that's right. simple enough. There are situations where, you know, we were sort of talking about um, you know, tax strategies. I actually have, I have one client who inherited a retirement account from her mother and she's not, this particular client is not currently working, but her spouse is working. She doesn't have a retirement plan on her own through work, but she can make what's called a spousal IRA contribution. And depending on their joint income, whether or not that's deductible is a different story. But if someone can take proceeds of a required distribution, and if they are eligible to put it into their own IRA in their own name, if they have, if either they have earned income or their spouse has own, earned income, 
they can essentially offset the taxes due on that distribution. Mm -hmm. Like if they were forced to take $5,000 from an inherited IRA, and if they were eligible to make their own $5,000 IRA contribution, you could avoid the taxes completely because even though you're realizing $5,000 of income, you could take a $5,000 deduction by putting it into a retirement account. So there might be a tax work workaround yeah. on that for the people that don't need the monies and, and, are, and want to be um, deferring taxes and want to be saving more in retirement for the future. And we're going to talk about it in one of the other segments when we get into the charitable giving, but another option is you know taking your RMD and sending it right to a charity. And, yep. and avoiding the taxes on it uh, yep. if you don't need it. But yep. we'll talk about that more. One other thing I was looking at, and I'm surprised you didn't talk about it because, because it's about a Roth. Oh, uh, no. But it's, but and it's, the, beauty of, and but, the beauty of it? But it's limited. And, and I actually was not sure about this, so I was looking it up about whether or not you could convert an inherited IRA to a Roth. Uh, um, uh. It says if you're a spouse, you can. But for non If you were the spouse right. of the, the decedent. Right. You could, could you could convert. you could convert it that money to a Roth, but if you're does if you're that, but if you're a non-spouse, then you cannot do that. Does it does the conversion satisfy the required distribution? Oh no, because you wouldn't we'll have be a required a one. distribution if you were under right. seventy and a half. Right. I'm gonna have to remember that one, Kirk. But I wasn't sure. Yeah. So you can't you cannot so you do can't it if, if you're not a spouse. Then you cannot convert it. It has to stay. Yeah. Stay the way it is. One thing we touched on is um, sort of the. We've been focusing on, you know, maybe uh, kids in, inheriting money from parents. But if you have a spouse that passes and your spouse had retirement assets, you don't have to open a beneficiary or inherited IRA. You just um, sort of assume that IRA of your spouse as your own. So if you have your own IRA, it just gets combined with your own. If you don't have your own IRA, you open up your own IRA, and that money just you just treat right. it like an IRA as if it was in, always in your own name. Yeah, as a spouse, I mean that's a nice just, thing. It makes makes your life a simple. Simpler. Yeah. yeah, a little yeah. simpler. All right, so sort of you know what, what to do with the money, what not to do. You know, sort of same answers as as we discussed. Um, you know, tax consequences are a little bit different, but certainly, you know, if, if there's money available to reduce debt, eliminate high interest rate debt, um, you know, sort of clean yeah. the slate in terms of debt, certainly yeah. I guess if it's be considered. On the, on the IRA side, if it's, you know, if it's the qualified money that we're talking about, I guess I would lean towards trying to preserve it yep. more so than the, than the non-qualified, especially if you're, yeah. if you're behind, if you think you're behind with retirement, if savings. you're behind in yeah. your savings, you know, if you don't think yep. you're on track, all of a sudden, you know, you have this nice thing, you know, come into your life um, that you could add to your to supplement your existing retirement savings. I think yep. that makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I agree. Versus the non-qualified, you know, a little more flexible. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Maybe forced distributions could be used to overpay debt if there's debt. But yeah, you got to bear in mind tax consequences when it's qualified monies. Yep. All right, I believe it's time. For a break, um, we've we've this is our thanks and giving show, and we've been focusing on the thanks aspect of that, which is inheriting monies from someone, and we want to switch gears in a little bit and um, talk about the giving aspect of it. And I think the next segment we'll we'll do is sort of positioning your assets to leave to someone and positioning them in an efficient manner. Um, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You can find me at McNamaraFinancial.com as well as my husband Kirk Reed has been joining me this morning. We have a new, I can't even really call it new anymore, but we do have a new-ish website 
And one of the features I'm most excited about is ability for people to schedule meetings right there on the website, mm. links directly and live to our calendars. Um, so that's a pretty cool feature if you haven't checked that out, whether you're an existing client or, or not, or if you just had some questions for us or want to you know, talk with us a little bit more, you can do it right from the website. And of course, all of all the radio shows or most of the radio shows that's right. are available on the website. That's right. Uh, I might be a week behind, but we do have an on-air section of the website where I do post the podcasts. And we actually, um, if you have a podcast app on your phone, you can just search McNamara on Money on your podcast app. We are on the iTunes store and you can find our podcast. And like I was saying earlier, it's historically, it's been one podcast a week just of the, of the show, which is two hours. And we're, we're making an effort. I would say in the next two weeks, you're going to start seeing four podcasts a week, which will be four shorter yeah. segments of this show, but just broken down into uh, shorter, more reasonable podcast segments. Little targets, that way yeah. you can listen to something that might pique your interest versus the whole the whole show. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come right back. 